Welcome to episode 57 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Kathy Dowd. Dr. Dowd worked in audiology settings for school systems, state hearing impaired supervisor, ENT clinics, and in private practice for 36 years. Dr. Dowd is currently the executive director of the Audiology Project, a 501c3 nonprofit organization focused on raising awareness of the impact of chronic diseases, ototoxic medications, and other issues affecting hearing. She was credited with helping the Centers of Disease Control to add audiology to their diabetes care model in 2021 with the support of audiology professional organizations. Dr. Dowd's work now is working to implement the CDC guidelines for a baseline hearing evaluation at the time of diagnosis and annually thereafter for persons with diabetes. In addition, Dr. Dowd is currently engaged with CMS on the issue of a lack of hearing services in nursing homes, which is mandated by federal law OBERA 1987. And with that, thank you, Dr. Dowd, and welcome to the podcast. So, Kathy, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, can you share more about your professional background? Oh, certainly, Todd. Um, It's been quite varied even before I became an audiologist. Um, My undergraduate degree is in French, and I lived in Paris for a year going to school. Um, I worked for families back in 1967, and we still stay in touch. So what happened, though, is when I graduated, they were getting rid of... uh, foreign languages and schools. And I had a teaching certificate. So I did some social work and um, did some research intern stuff and then got six hours free every sem- uh, semester. So I somebody mentioned audiology. I thought, okay, but really it is kind of related when you think of immersing yourself in a place where you don't understand the language and your ears have to get adjusted to the accents and to the sounds and alliterations and all those other things. So, um, right. So it's been a great journey. So you went from uh, being a French major to an audiologist. I think it was, it was a great transition. And where did you do your audiology studies? I my master's was at the University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Wonderful. Yes. And then I got my doctorate at Salish University. Very good. Very good. Great programs out there, that's for sure. And so where has the, you know, since then, where has your professional journey uh, led you? I have been very pleased with all my uh, different positions from the time I finished my practicum. I went to work at an ENT office. Um, Mm -hmm. 
for a time, I was the only audiologist for six physicians. And so I would have 20 to 25 evaluations every afternoon. The morning I did hearing aid evaluations and ENGs. Um, But it prepared me to be fast and quick because if the physician didn't agree with my results, they'd bring the person back Mm -hmm. and I had to retest Mm -hmm. them. So, um, and then I worked in the school systems for about six, seven years, which was very interesting because these kids, a lot of times, uh, would get placed in learning disabled or mental retardation classes when in fact they had not, their hearing hadn't been vetted, um, So, you know, once we found out they had a hearing problem, uh, you could design things around that to help them educationally. And then I went into um, private practice, basically, from 86 until 2014 is when I retired. Wow. And as as we spoke a little bit about, uh, your retirement hasn't been exactly relaxing and retired. <laughs> and. Uh, you've been very, very busy from what I can see. So let's let's talk about the audiology project and how that came about first. Well, when I was still working, my mother-in-law in Louisville, Kentucky, um, was diagnosed really late in life with um, diabetes. And I was at her assisted living with my brother-in-law from Michigan. And he was running around trying to get the nurses to check her blood glucose and change. He went to the kitchen and talked to them about her diet and all these other things. And I mentioned to him, well, you know, Richard, that uh, diabetes causes hearing loss. And he said, what? Where did that come from? (laughs) Um, But he works at the State Department in Michigan for diabetes, and he had never heard of that. So he suggested I contact CDC or the American Diabetes Association. So in 2011, I reached out, bugged them for about a a month or so, (laughs) and finally got a call from Dr. Pamela Allweiss. And she said, none of us have ever heard of this before. So I sent her a very intensive bibliography. Hmm. And so then it just started, um, you know, again, me just kind of Stay communicating with her on a regular basis until 2016. And that's when she told me they were going to go ahead and write guidelines for inclusion of hearing specialists in diabetes care. And I said, no, 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 you <laughs> have to say audiologist. Otherwise, right. you'll engage people that are 18 years old and have a one year license, you know, internship for dispensing. So, and that's when I got the audiology project put together. It was in 2016 to get ASHA, AAA, and ADA involved in something that I had been pushing, but really it needs needed to be more on a national level. And then 2021, I guess, is when the CDC actually published the guidelines. So because of you and your work, you've changed uh, diabetes care for many Americans. And, and as a result, uh, di- hopefully diagnosing lots more hearing loss that would have gone undetected for quite some time, probably. Well, I think there's still a lot to do. We have the guidelines, but the implementation is mm. what's going to be the next 10 years. 
So getting physicians to screen hearing and refer for a baseline test to follow the guidelines. Um, I'm working on trying to get it included in the NCQA mm-hmm. diabetes recognition program because even my own physician said, well, if it was on there, I'd have to do it. Um, so <laughs> not, not because you'd say it's a good thing to do and the right thing to do. It's just, if it's on, if it's on the, on the guidelines, then maybe I'll think about it. Yeah. Basically We've dealt with those physicians. Sometimes we, we love the great physicians who are trying to do a great job and, and we support them. But at the same time, it, it's a little frustrating sometimes when they are such uh, huge gatekeepers of information and diagnosing, uh, especially in the area of hearing loss. And we've seen that over, over the years. Well, there's a lot more um, education that needs to happen before we get to collaboration. So, um, you know, that's what I'll be working on for the next 10 years, as well as um, I, I just spoke with you a little bit about the skilled mm-hmm. nursing facility. Right. issue, which kind of came away around the same way uh, my mother-in-law's issue happened. But in 2017, my husband was in a nursing home right, right, and was refused services, which are mandated by federal law. So, um, you know, something has to change for people to do what they're supposed to do and to recognize. I do see much more about chronic diseases. Then right, back right. in 2011, when nobody seemed to realize the medical necessity of what audiology de- does. Right. And a- as we, we spoke, um, I, I mentioned it sort of in my, my day job as a professor and my grad students going out and being assigned to skilled nursing facilities. And, and then, then they come back to me and say, I don't think my patient can hear, but they won't put the hearing aids on. Uh, they have hearing aids, but they've been sent home because they're afraid they're going to go missing or someone's going to steal them or, you know. And so I just I don't think he has a cognitive issue. I think he just can't hear me. And uh, and so my student talks to the supervisor and the supervisor is like, well, we don't have the equipment. And so uh, you you face the same kinds of things with your husband. Well, I did work in nursing homes for 21 years providing audiology services in the Charlotte, Mm -hmm. North Carolina area, probably a five or six county area. So I do understand um, there is no problem with keeping hearing aids from getting lost, though, because what I did on every single hearing aid was put a security line that could be clipped to their shirt. Mm -hmm. So um, if they absentmindedly just pulled it out, because it was bothering or itching or whatever, it wouldn't fall on the floor and get kicked under the bed or out into the um, hallway. It would just hang Mm -hmm. there. Um, So we had very few lost hearing aids. Um, And, you know, there's always a way to get replacements. And since it's mandated by law, every state has coverage, even if they don't normally cover Medicaid adults for hearing aids, they have to cover it with a waiver program. So there is coverage for all of our services in nursing homes. I think audiologists just 
just don't know that, or we just don't have enough audiologists to work with the numbers of residents that need help. Right. So let's let's explore that in terms of how do we solve this problem? And so part of it is going to be education. So do you think it's in the in the world of audiology in terms of uh, practitioners just don't know that they're supposed to be providing these services? Or as we talked about, a lot of times it's maybe a, a speech language pathologist who's doing cognitive assessments and therapy based on a stroke or some other diagnosis, but hearing loss is never really screened and and thought of. Or is it the administration of the different facilities sort of ignoring this or, or not knowing that they should be providing these services? Well, there's a couple of defaults in this whole system. You know, it starts with CMS mm-hmm. because the federal law was written in 1987 the Omnibus Budget and Reconciliation Act. And so CMS developed a CMS minimum data set hearing assessment, which is basically going to the resident and saying, Mr. Jones, can you hear okay? Well, the person themselves doesn't realize they can't hear. Right. One-on-one face-to-face in a quiet room, they'll do okay with lip reading. Mm-hmm. but um, I've been talking to CMS, and now they do admit it is a subjective observation of a potential problem, which the law says it has to be an accurate, reproducible assessment. Mm-hmm. So our next step is to try to get in front of the healthcare committee um, nationally on that. That was advised by a CMS executive. The other default is speech therapists are not screening, even though it's required by their professional guidelines. Mm-hmm. And what CMS says is anybody billing Medicare or Medicaid must abide by their professional guidelines. So ASHA has very good guidelines, you know, for adults. If you're over mm-hmm. 65, you screen hearing. If you have a chronic disease, you screen hearing. Mm-hmm. If you're, you've been on ototoxic meds, any history of trauma, noise, et cetera. So their guidelines are very, uh, complete. However, from what I'm told, rehab agencies do not give the speech therapist the equipment to screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm suspect because We have a free hearing screening that's validated on our website. It takes three minutes. It's free, whatever. Um, What's going to happen, though, is if the speech therapist does screen hearing, 80% of the residents are going to fail. And they need an evaluation before you do a cognitive. Mm -hmm. So really what would happen, In a perfect world, what would happen is the speech therapist would screen or refer. Mm -hmm. The person would get a full test and they also need auditory processing, you know, due to microangiopathy in the brain from diabetes or whatever. Um, Then they need to be fit with hearing aids and it takes six to eight weeks to get acclimated 
to the new sounds. Mm-hmm. I know that from being immersed in French. <laughs> when right. I went over at age 17, I couldn't understand a word anybody said. But by the end of the summer, I could mm-hmm. understand and I could speak a little bit. So right. that's a perfect time for speech therapists to do oral rehab, Right. which ASHA has put oral rehab in their scope of practice just recently in 2016. Mm-hmm. So they could do oral rehab during that acclimatization period. And then once the person's acclimated and you know if there's any auditory processing, then you could do a cognitive uh, evaluation. Um, but you have to vet hearing first. That that has to come first. And it's not, um, unfortunately. So I'm not sure how to ch- change it. I mean, I've spoken with Asha who says, mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's just not the right time to implement that right now because they're having trouble finding jobs and their reimbursements going down. But that's not a reason to avoid your professional guidelines. Sure. And has has uh, AAA uh, said anything about this issue or tried to to get in front of it? Well, I've been talking with AAA and ADA, and they understand that. Um, CMS has recommended that we go before a healthcare committee um, in DC. So um, hopefully we can do that over the next um, year or so, get it in front and and have an, a more accurate assessment take place uh, initially instead of asking the person if they have a problem. Right. And, and- what about have you reached out to like the Hearing Loss Association of America and uh, some of those organizations that might, from an advocacy perspective, consumer perspective, you know, be able to to sit there at the table with you and and say this needs to happen? I have over the last couple of years spoken with the director and also with um, they have a a great page on their website that lists every single state and how Medicaid covers uh, people in each state. And we did a deep dive on the coverage last summer and their data is not up to date. Um, Mm. But the person I spoke with said they're just kind of overwhelmed with what they have to do. And so she wasn't sure when they might be able to uh, update that because States hide the information about uh, coverage, unfortunately, in skilled nursing. They're mandated to cover it. Um, But I looked in, I was licensed in North Carolina and South Carolina when I was Mm -hmm. in practice. And I went into several nursing homes in South Carolina. I could never find the resources. I'd call the Mm -hmm. state and they say, no, no, we don't cover Medicaid adults. Finally, like a year before I retired, I tripped up on it and found it. (laughs) And I called the guy in charge. I said, you need to be letting the skilled nursing facilities and people know this. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, well, then we'd have to pay out a lot of money. Right. And that's what we've discovered with several states as we went and talked with them. I know they have waiver programs, Mm -hmm. but... They're just not transparent because um, it's a huge need, and 
um, but it is there and audiologists right. need to know that. And so one strategy is to get audiologists engaged with their state and working at a real grassroots level with professionals, getting them well, engaged. Some audiologists have tried to uh, in different states. And what they report to me, and it's not surprising, is for facilities to say, we don't have anybody with a hearing loss in our facility. <laughs> we have 90% cognitively impaired, but we don't have anybody with a hearing loss. So I, obviously, if you don't test it, you don't have it. Um, or <laughs> one, how that works. <laughs> one administrator said, well, I have 50% cognitively impaired and 50% behavior, disruptive behavior, which is something they have to track. Right. And disruptive behavior is an indication of a hearing loss. Right. So if somebody, you know, if somebody comes in and they're trying to undress you and you don't know what they're doing, you right. you know, I've had residents fight the the staff when they wanted sure. to take them and give them a shower. So Right. Wow. This is such a such a problem that's just kind of out there that it, people are just you know, certainly need to be more aware of. And, uh, and, and so I think you, you are certainly leading the way. Um, and so working on this issue, uh, and the diabetes issue, uh, are those, uh, the two that you're going to focus on over the next, uh, few months and year? Yes, trying to get it implemented uh, mm. for the diabetes guidelines is, right. you know, a high priority. Um, but I can't do it by myself. I mean, right. it has to be um, our audiology organizations. It has to be audiologists in every state need to reach out to their chronic disease directors and talk to them about this new these new guidelines that they may not be aware of. Hmm. Um, talk to the people in charge of skilled nursing and the need, I mean, the mandate um, for hearing services. There's also a Supreme Court decision I just learned about this last hmm. year called the Olmstead Act, a Supreme Court decision out of Georgia. Uh, that mandates hearing services in all communal living situations. So even low-income housing has mm. to have coverage for hearing services. Very so. interesting, yeah. I think, yeah, very few people know about this, even though it's I agree. Yeah. I didn't know. In 1999, I was still working, and it was I just attended a webinar um in the last year where they talked about the Olmstead Act. I wish I had known that back when I was working. Right, right. And again, it's another area that's being ignored. Uh, and probably a lot of states are saying, well, we can't afford to do that. Yeah. So if we if we identify hearing loss in these families and these children, perhaps. We can't afford to put hearing aids on them, so we're not going to test them. Well, that's tragic. I mean, really, right. that's egregious. Um, almost as egregious as doing a cognitive eval when you've not petted hearing. 
in advance. Exactly. exactly. So I know your plate is very full with these issues. What what other issues are you maybe seeing on the horizon that you, you think that we need to be aware of? The other thing uh, that I've been working, Dr. Uh, Bob DeSogra has been working with us since 2016 about medications. Mm-hmm. He's kind of an, uh, an expert about ototoxicity and vestibulotoxicity. Um, so he's done some deep dives with diabetes. Mm-hmm. But I think we really need to do more with, for the whole expansive um, list of medications. Uh, for example, uh, hormone replacement treatment causes right. hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not on anybody's uh, list. And there's other things like that. I mean, we know cancer chemotherapeutics cause hearing loss. Right. But... Um, I had cancer back in 2020 and I didn't have chemo, but, um, I was going in for my medical visits and I brought the information to the doctor about the effect of chemo on mm-hmm. hearing. And I gave her this flyer that had the information and she said, we don't have time for that. I said, well, I was sitting out in the waiting room for 40 minutes and then you put me in this exam room and I've been here for 15 minutes and there's a computer right here. So you have access to a free screening. So she kind of grabbed it from my hands and said, I'll give it to the (laughs) pharmacist. And I thought, and and nothing has happened. I mean, I still go back and they don't do anything. So it's unfortunate because some of my friends have had chemo and it's affected their hearing, but they find out after the fact. It's unfortunate. Right. Almost by happenstance, they'll realize they're not hearing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, another huge issue and all this kind of related in the sense that people practice in their silos and they just do what they do. And it's like anything that goes outside that, outside their their vision of what they're what they are supposed to do. Even when it's mandated uh, by law, they just can't seem to let go of that, you know, and they can't sort of embrace it. So it's it's very frustrating. Definitely. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with the National Academies of Practice. Yes. Because what they do is they have 20 or more than 20 different professions come together. Um, and when when I reached out to CDC... Uh, Dr. Allweiss was in charge of this PPOD tool guide, which was pharmacy, podiatry, optometry, and dental in diabetes care. Um, optometry was the first people that they pulled in. Right. Um, but when you look at that group, so now it's called PPOD plus A because audi- we've tacked audiology onto it. We had a diabetes summit last, just this past Friday, uh, in Asheville. And one of the speakers said, this is phenomenal. We really need to do this all over North Carolina. You know, bring all these. And they had medical, they had physicians, they had skilled nursing people there to get CEUs. So it really was a way to uh, educate people. And for audiology, when you look at podiatry, people lose the feeling in their feet and it increases the risk of falls. You look at optometry, people lose their 
vision with diabetic retinopathy, and that affects falls. Uh, you look at pharmacy and its ototoxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really are very much dependent on each other if we would just make that connection. I guess that's the first step that has to happen. Well, I know just from my my perspective as a university professor, you know, certainly a, a big push over the past, I would say, five to seven years has been interprofessional care uh, and and working, you know, outside those silos. So I think uh, certainly I'm seeing universities trying to do more to encourage that sort of team approach to each patient, but we need to do more. We need to uh, get the people that are out there in the field (laughs) who have been practicing, but maybe are still in those silos to to go beyond that and to understand what really should be happening in all these cases. You know, that's a really good point from a university standpoint, because if you have a pharmacy school, if you have an mm-hmm. optometry school, if you have a, a dental school or farm, um, I said pharmacy, um, podiatry, podiatry. Mm-hmm. yeah. Pulling those people, having your own diabetes summit mm-hmm. at the university and pulling those students and the professors in to talk mm-hmm. about how we are all really interconnected for right. hearing and balance and and basically better patient care. I agree 100%. And maybe we'll get there. Maybe the next generation of professionals will have a little more openness to understanding that that we can't just look at the patient from our perspective only. We have to look at everyone's, you know, taking into consideration everyone's perspective who may be working with that patient and providing care. Well, Kathy, I I don't want to hold you up. I know you have a million other things you probably want to get to. So I do appreciate you being on the podcast. How can people reach out to you and learn more about the audiology project? Well, it's very easy if you go to our website, which is the audiologyproject.com, you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, There's usually a pop-up that allows you to put your uh, email address in, and you can also do a contact us form uh, if you want to get some information. I have lots of PowerPoints and things that I'd be willing to share with anybody who wants to go out and and do this education. So, um, yes. Well, well, good luck with everything you're doing. And hopefully you come back in another year or so and you can give me all this wonderful, all these wonderful updates of everything that has happened to move all this forward. So good luck with everything. Thank you so much, Todd. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Dow, for joining us on the podcast. If you're interested in helping out and supporting what she's doing, Go check out everything she's doing at www.theaudiologyproject.com. And good luck, Dr. Dow, with all of your many projects and, and all of your advocacy work. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If you don't mind, do leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to move up in the rankings and attract new subscribers. Um, which is what we want to do. And with that, until next time, 
Be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. Music